Chapter Two of The Whispering Man by Henry Kitchell Webster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two Madeline. All I could do at first was to repeat the word after him in an accent of horror as profound as his own. Murder! He sank back limply against the luxurious leather cushions and turned his face away. Yes he whispered my mind which had simply stopped running at the shock of the word swiftly recovered itself and went to work again but how i asked what was the weapon and who could have been the murderer who in the world has a motive for wanting to murder him there was no weapon he said no weapon then how was the murder committed i don't know his voice was quite lifeless evidently it was with the greatest difficulty that he forced himself to talk at all but i wanted to know more than he had told me as i did not care to face madeline until i did if there was no weapon said i and you don't know oh he interrupted with a trace of impatience i don't know really dr armstrong when he first saw him sitting there over his desk thought it was heart failure but it wasn't that even i could see it wasn't that from the look in the eyes there was the wildest most horrible glare and then they called down adams whose office is on the floor above and he disposed of the heart failure theory at a glance what did he say it was i asked it seemed as if the young man beside me would never be able to frame the single word needed to answer my question he struggled with it but for a long time it would not come when it did it was only in a whisper the word was poison now the idea of sudden death by poisoning has a peculiar atrocity about it such as no other death-dealing device contains for poison as a means of murder spells treachery in burning letters that even a child could read it is a means of murder no avowed enemy can use a man may be stabbed or shot in a heat of passion or even in self-defence and by an enemy who has taken a brave man's chance of meeting the same fate himself in place of his intended victim but poison can only be administered by a false friend so i did not wonder that the word was a long time coming from my young friend's lips presently however i thought of something hesitated a while whether to speak of it or not but finally decided in the affirmative i suppose said i that it's an idea that would be hard for you to entertain but if he died by poison isn't it altogether probable that he administered it himself to speak plainly don't you think that he committed suicide hard for me he echoed with a half hysterical laugh good god if i only could believe it but it's perfectly impossible my father was one of the happiest as well as one of the sanest of men his nervous balance was never disturbed and had indeed very little to disturb it his whole life was an open book and there's nothing in it we don't know he was rich he was famous he was altogether happy in his work he was looking forward with special interest to some cases that were coming up within the next two or three days did you see him this morning i asked 
at breakfast yes as usual he answered and was there anything unusual or abnormal about his manner he hesitated an appreciable space of time before he answered nothing abnormal no i noticed by the slight unconscious emphasis that he put on the word that he avoided denying that there was anything unusual but he was obviously in no condition to be catechized so i let that point go he went to his office at his usual time i asked yes said he and found the reception room full of patients waiting for him just as he always did he saw them in rotation up to half past eleven at half past twelve they found him dead then said i the patient who went into his office at half past eleven was the last person known to have seen him alive but before the question had fairly passed my lips i realized that it was little better than wanton cruelty to ply him with questions and compel him to make answers in his present condition he made no attempt to answer this last question at all but buried his face in his hands and let the shuddering sobs that all along had been threatening his voice have uncontrolled sway he made a brave effort to regain his self-control and presently succeeded far enough to be able to stammer out an apology to me for the exhibition he had been making of himself before our swiftly moving vehicle had reached his father's door he seemed to be somewhere near himself again the house was an ordinary four-story brownstone affair furnished with exquisite taste and in no way suggesting the profession of the man who had owned it dr marshall's offices were a good deal farther downtown in the grosvenor building and to a far greater extent than most physicians find it practicable to do he had made a practice of locking his work up inside his office every night there was a large living-room half library half den in the rear of the second story and it was hither that young marshall led me two or three young men whom i took to be reporters were waiting in the front drawing-room and their curious glances were fixed on me as i passed the door on my way up the stairs the upper hallway was dark so i could not see who it was who addressed my guide from the head of the stairs but i did not need to see i should have known that voice anywhere did you find him jack she asked but she did not wait for his answer for the next moment she caught sight of me it was good of you to come clifford drew she said that was an odd characteristic of hers i well remembered calling me by both names and she offered me both hands when i had gained the last of the stairs and stood beside her i thought you would not fail us she added come in she led the way into the dimly lighted library her stepson standing aside to let me go in first she did not seat herself until she had crossed over to the wall switch and flooded the room with light that action was characteristic too and in a way symbolic she had never courted twilights or concealments if she had anything to conceal now the thing it would hide behind would be a mask of absolute candour i was glad to have a good look at her now after those two years she was all my memory had painted her just as beautiful as ever more i think i may say for her beauty had only come to its full matured perfection she was a large woman magnificent calm stately 
her head was crowned with a glory of chestnut-brown hair shot through with metallic lights and her eyes matched it they were brown but quite without that velvety dullness which detracts from the beauty of so many pairs of brown eyes hers were extraordinarily bright and singularly expressive the impression of intensity that one got from her came i think almost exclusively from her eyes her manner certainly was repose itself she was still dressed in the simple lavender-coloured house-frock she had on when they brought her the news of the tragedy it would have been hard to imagine a manner more exactly opposite to that her stepson had exhibited than hers was when i stood looking at her across the library her eyes showed no trace of tears nor were they stony fixed paralysed with grief or horror as many tearless eyes are her hand as she withdrew it from the wall switch was as steady i had started to say as mine but it was a good deal steadier but for just one instant i saw a look of apprehension come across her face that was when she glanced toward the doorway where her stepson was still standing i suppose you know the story she began jack has told you hasn't he i couldn't tell him much said he from his position in the doorway he seemed not to mean to enter the room but her attitude invited him i tried to tell him but i gave it up well don't worry any more jack she said there's nothing you have to do now can't you read or do something to get a little quiet and then go to bed clifford will attend to everything exactly said i that's what i'm here for i'll see everybody who is to be seen and answer questions as well as i can of course i meant what i said but i was a little surprised and rather unpleasantly affected by the eagerness with which the young man accepted my offer he muttered a barely audible thank you turned and went straight up the stairs to the floor above where his own room was a moment later i heard his door close behind him with a bang of course said i it must be a fearful blow to him she made no answer but then my comment called for none and after all i continued i think he has told me nearly everything he said that dr marshall went to his office this morning as usual and saw an unbroken succession of patients until within an hour of the time they found him dead there are only two or three other questions that i should have asked him had he been in condition to give me all the information i wanted one is who was the last person known to have seen him alive the patient who went in i believe at half-past eleven i don't know much about her said madeline she called up the house on the telephone only about an hour ago having just learned that dr marshall was dead she said she would be glad to tell us anything she could about him she is a miss gwendolen carr she gave me her address and i've written it down i don't suppose she will be able to tell us anything she had a nice voice the thing i was wondering about all the while was what her own explanation of the tragedy could be and it seemed impossible seeing her sitting there so tranquilly that she could believe the terrible theory i had just heard advanced by the dead man's son murder by poison i hesitated even to suggest it to her in so many words i understand said i there is some disagreement between the two doctors who saw him as to what had been the cause of death 
that one of them called it poison and the other attributed it to heart failure i don't think there can be much real doubt about it in fact dr armstrong has practically admitted that he was mistaken by the way i asked who is dr armstrong how did he happen to be there why didn't you know he was roscoe's assistant he has had that position for nearly a year he was right in the adjoining room all the while i looked at her in wonder for she stated this momentous fact quite as if she saw no exceptional significance in it yet if murder had been done as my young friend believed and murder by poison who could more easily have accomplished this fiendish act than the trusted young assistant with an office in the next room could he have any motive for such an act i would make further inquiry about him presently for the moment however the alternate theory suicide presented itself very strongly to my mind i asked madeline the same thing i had asked of jack in the cab did you see anything unusual or abnormal about him this morning at breakfast but this time i got an answer it was unequivocal nothing abnormal but unusual yes decidedly jack hinted as much to me said i but seemed not to want to talk about it do you mind if i ask you more particularly jack hinted at it she repeated how could he have known anything about it why no i don't mind telling he and i dr marshall i mean and i had been having a somewhat sharp difference of opinion for a day or two past and it came rather to a climax this morning was your quarrel serious enough i asked feeling my way with a good deal of hesitation serious enough to have afforded a possible motive for i hesitated over the word but she manifested no such squeamishness suicide yes no she answered quietly not by any possibility i don't think it would have amounted to anything that could have been called a quarrel if he hadn't been tortured with indigestion at the time i didn't know that till i saw on my dressing-table the capsules he always takes anyway if it had been my own quarrel i shouldn't have pressed matters as it was i had to for i was trying to dissuade him from doing a great wrong to someone else i could not help it it was not a suspicion of her it was a wholly involuntary perception that the story she was telling me was forming itself into a pattern i couldn't get my own voice to come very clearly when i asked her the question that was on my tongue who was it i asked against whom he meditated this wrong if there has been murder there must have been a motive for it she paled a little but she answered the question steadily it was dr armstrong do you know what i thought of then i wished my friend jeffrey might have had the opportunity for the long straight look she allowed me right into her brown eyes was it a face of the most courageous innocence or of the most cynical guilt would jeffrey know i wondered evidently she saw that i did not for as she read what was in my face i saw come into hers the same expression of quick apprehension i had seen there when she was looking at her stepson but she came a little closer to me and held out her hands with a quick appealing gesture cliff do i have to pretend with you 
can't i let my looks and my inflections and all the ghastly perverse inferences that could be drawn from the things i have been telling you take care of themselves does it matter to you that i haven't been crying or do you think that i ought to have pretended not to be able to talk about it calmly even if i was no said i i am glad that you are not pretending at any rate i didn't poison my husband she said quietly and i don't believe dr armstrong did you were right dreadfully right when you advised me not to marry him i never was in love with him i often hated him or thought i did but i shall miss him dreadfully can't you understand that and yet i am not altogether sorry that he died to-day he's had a good life a full life it has brought him everything he wanted wealth and fame and all the rest of it in going out now he's prevented from doing a man a serious wrong a young man for whom life otherwise seemed to have as much in store as it had for him i had tried to get him not to do it i urged him to show a little plain unmixed undeserved mercy but he wouldn't listen that quality wasn't in him he had done once before years and years ago before i knew him the very thing i was trying to prevent he had pushed a brilliant young man off the edge of things a young man who only needed a steady touch of the shoulder to set him right instead of that he was sent slipping down 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 quite off the curve of the world our world and in what miserable slew he perished i don't know i ventured to remind dr marshall of that young man this morning that was why he went away in anger after she finished speaking she made a listless gesture with her hands as if it didn't much matter after all and went back to her seat but as you perceive she continued a hard lifeless tone of satire in her voice as you perceive the pattern is quite complete walter armstrong has been making love to me i am just telling you how it looks and the doctor and i have quarrelled about him and the doctor went down to his office and died of poison with dr armstrong in the next room and with the little box in his pocket containing the capsules which he had forgotten and i had handed to him in the presence of the butler before he started out that's reasonably complete isn't it whatever had been in her voice and in her face before there was nothing there now but hard defiance do you advise me to lie she concluded or dare i tell the truth the sharp jangle of the telephone bell broke the long tense silence which had ensued upon her last bitter question for i had not been able to make an answer to it i went to the phone is this dr marshall's residence asked a voice well this is police headquarters can we talk with mrs marshall no said i i am representing the family my name is clifford drew i'll take your message well we've got the man said the voice at the other end of the phone i don't think there can be any doubt about it he's pat pomeroy he's one of the highest class crooks in the country he was in the doctor's office this morning pretending to be a patient we arrested him about an hour ago on suspicion and found a large unset ruby in his pocket we think it's the marshal ruby and we want some member of the family to come down and identify it i said that we would come and hung up the receiver then i turned to madeline thank god i cried and gave her the message 
i felt somehow that i could breathe again that the heavy black pall which had hung over my spirit since young jack marshall had inarticulately uttered the word poison was suddenly torn away it was wonderful that the police explanation had occurred to none of us dr marshall had been a connoisseur of precious stones he was known to have a hobby for them based upon the reactions they produced on certain classes of patients he frequently exhibited them to the mentally disordered persons who came to consult him and the fact was more or less generally known but madeline's face showed hardly the relief i expected to find there it's all right i went on trying to reassure her the pattern that we fancied we saw forming itself about you is knocked to pieces the only possible doubt of pomeroy's guilt will be settled when we identify that ruby in his pocket as dr marshall's well she said perhaps you're right End of chapter two